I used to think that good Samaritans were really just a weird urban legend until, until I had a grand mal seizure on a New York City subway on my way to work on a Monday morning. I was out probably 10 minutes. And when I woke up, I was at one of the worst subway stations. It's four stories below the street. And I remember laying on the subway platform thinking, I can't get up those stairs by myself. I need something. And all of a sudden, this little tiny grandmother who was barely four foot 10, if that, and her name was Maria. And she said, I will help you. And somehow she got me up four flights of stairs. She hailed a taxi. She got me in the taxi and we're on our way to the emergency room. And she says to me, um, has this happened before? And I said, yes. And she said, do you have a disease that causes this? And I said, I do. But my brain was so scrambled that I, I couldn't say epileptic. And so I said, it, it ends with ick. And she was like, oh, oh, she loves guessing games, apparently. And so she goes, are you anemic? No. Are you diabetic? No. Oh, are you psychotic? Um, no. She takes me into the ER. She hovers until she makes sure that a doctor is seeing me. And then post, she just vanishes. So when I go to check out, I say to the nurse, do you have my insurance card? And she said, no, no, no. Maria paid for everything in cash. And then she left. So 35 years later, Maria, wherever you are. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. This week, episode number 20, we have got for you seven more 99-second stories. Remember, Kurt and I are in this to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and hopefully more memorable stories, true stories personal stories, grit stories. Tracy in Seattle kicked things off with her 99-second story, and we've got six more. From Jamie in New York, Johan in Montreal, Richard in Las Vegas, Tori in Pittsburgh, Howard in Minneapolis, and Crystal in Toronto. I really hope you enjoy these. Now, next week, we've got a new story, a longer story, from one of Kurt's students. So I hope you tune into that. Remember, both of us have classes coming up as well as events. This Sunday, a 7x7 curated storytelling show. And next Sunday, another 99-second story slam. I hope you can join us. They are a lot of fun. Finally, if you listen on Apple, please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast. It really helps other people find it. Okay. That's all for now. Let's dive in. The night before my Texas tornado of a mother, Mama Jean, shipped me off to rehab, she glared at me and she said, after that suicide attempt, your drinking days are over. So three years later, it broke my heart that that woman had been hijacked by Lewy body dementia. She was having wild hallucinations and believing that her worst fears were coming true. And the first time I went to see her after it all went haywire, I don't even know if she knew me. And at one point I turned away from her trying to erase what I'd just seen, a mad woman in my mother's body, when she grabbed my arm in a vice grip. You've been drinking, 
No, I haven't. Don't lie to me. I'm not. I wasn't. Because at that time, I was seven months sober and I was struggling to finally get a year. I had been relapsing ever since rehab, which I never told her that. So how could she know? You better not be lying. Remember, Mama? That's all behind us. You took care of that. You don't have to worry. And I thought to myself, who would blame me if I drank over my mother losing her mind? But there was another way to look at it. If you can't stay sober for yourself, do it for her. I turned and I looked her in the eye and I said, you don't have to worry anymore. Okay. But promise me. Promise. I promise. Five months later, she died and I finally got a year. And to this day, I kept my promise. It's really cold outside the waiting room. I'm scared and I'm next. The surgeon comes to my bedside and he says, get up. You're going to walk into the operating room with me. And when I'm in there, he introduces me to the whole team, the anesthetist, the nurses, the resident. He says, we have the science. We're the best team possible. And I say, okay, thank you. This is great. Except I'm really still scared because now that I see everything in the operating room, I'm even more terrified. They install me onto the table and they push my neck all the way up. I have an aggressive thyroid cancer. The surgeon has been telling me for months, the science and the data say that I'm going to survive. It's going to be fine. And sure, the logic is terrific and I believe it, but the science isn't making me calm and the anesthetic isn't coming fast enough. And my eyes are darting around the room like crazy. And then what catches my eye, it's a nurse hovering over my head. Our eyes meet. She puts her hand gently on my forehead. She lowers her mask. She says, breathe. It's going to be okay. I breathe. I wake up hours later. The science, the data, the surgeon, they were right. I'm grateful. I'm fine. My God, that moment, though, it was the human touch. The nurse, it made a difference. I am dealing blackjack on the Las Vegas Strip. I'm 25 years old. I'm having a blast. And all of a sudden, I realize my nose has started bleeding. So I call the boss over. I clap off the table. And I go to stem the flow of the blood. And I know what the problem is. It's the cocaine. It's 1980. Cocaine is everywhere in Las Vegas, not just Las Vegas. Cocaine is everywhere such that people are wearing gold Coke spoons around their neck as jewelry, and people are joking about it on Johnny Carson's show at night. And I love the cocaine, but I hate what it does to me. One night of Coke and I suffer four or five days of nosebleeds, sinus infections, and headaches. 
And I think, there's, you know, there's got to be a better way. If somebody could just like put it in a pill so I could just swallow it so it wouldn't f- do all this damage to my nose. And about a week later, I go and I'm donating blood and I'm watching the nurse as she slowly shoves a needle into my vein. And I think, you know, that's not so hard. I could do that. And it scared the shit out of me. And that was the day I stopped doing cocaine. Thank you, Jamie Brickhouse, Joanne Pelletier, and Richard Munchkin. Next up, Tori Shine, Howard Lieberman, and Crystal Bartelzi. So freshman year of college, I'm in a doctor's office for my annual breast exam. And often during these ladies' exams, the doctors are very chatty. Like they will be speculum deep all up in your vagina. Like, how are classes going? But today, this doctor is silent. It makes me nervous. And then she says it out loud, that she feels lumps in both breasts. She says, we'll run some tests and go from there. So I am fighting back tears, struggling, fumbling, just trying to get my clothes back on. And then she adds offhand, oh, and don't worry. It's totally normal for one of your breasts to be larger than the other. So I remember walking back to my dorm room and all I could think is what the hell was she talking about? One of them was bigger. I was oblivious to this difference that was apparently so glaringly obvious. This woman, my doctor, had gone out of her way to make sure that I wasn't worried about the discrepancy. It took two weeks to get the test results. Benign. While I was waiting, if you're ever trying to find a way to get a teenage girl to stop thinking about cancer, that is a highly effective method. It's a cold November day in Chicago. I'm in the front seat of a 1959 Chevy Impala, squashed between a big, smelly man who worked in my mother's factory and my older brother, Alan. I hated riding in middle seats, but second brothers always ride in the middle seat. We were on our way to the hospital where my mother was taken when she got sick at work. I was happy about that because she had been sick for a while with numbness in her left arm, shortness of breath, and a doctor who said, Rose, you're nervous, and prescribed tranquilizers. When we got to the hospital, the three of us walked in the emergency room door, and before we got to the desk, a tall doctor, white hair, white skin stethoscope looks into my eyes and says, I'm sorry, son. There was nothing we could do. She was dead on arrival. Those 13 words changed my life forever.
I've always had a male doctor. I know that most women insist on having a female doctor, but for all my medical needs, I've always had men. At the age of 20, I diagnosed myself with endometriosis. It's a chronic disease that causes pelvic pain and infertility. And I diagnosed myself because no male doctor is giving me any answers. I was getting the worst period pains ever, like really bad pain. Pain like someone forced me to drink 10 liters of water, then stabbed me with a knife and then twisted it and twisted it and then left the knife in there, duct taped it onto my belly, made me run a full marathon and then ripped the duct tape off and just kept punching me in the stomach over and over again, that kind of pain. And I thought this was normal because no one was telling me otherwise. And my family doctor, Dr. Johnson, he would just say, Oh, that pain, it's very normal, very normal to have pain like that. When I finally went back to him for the ninth time after years of this nonsense, he just diagnosed me with irritable bowel syndrome. A few years later, my mom takes me to my first gynae, Dr. Wolf, and his famous solution for my period pain was grin and bear it. And that's what I did while also reading up on women's health issues. On my second visit, I said, Dr. Wolf, I think I have endometriosis. Do you? He said, well, the only real way to know this is to have a laparoscopy. We make a small incision in the belly, take a scope, have a look around, but there are risks. Well, I'll take my chances. I have this laparoscopy and it is determined. I do have endometriosis, but I don't have irritable bowel syndrome. And to get some answers to my pain, finally, I make my first appointment with Dr. Vivian Chow. As always, thank you so much for listening and your support. Special thanks to our seven 99-second story tellers. Great job. Next week, we've got a new story from one of Kurt's students. And remember, we both have classes coming up and there are events. A 7x7 curated storytelling show coming up this Sunday and another 99-second slam the following Sunday. Help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing if you listen on Apple. That is all for now. Boom.